Hey guys, what's up? Hey there. You doing all right? Yeah. Sure, okay. <laughs> Can you hear me? All right. Um, well, you know, this is something that we usually say at the end of service, kind of when we're doing announcements and stuff, but I think it's important for this week especially for us to say it in the beginning. Um, so for all of you guys that came today hoping to experience the Branch Church, uh, we're really glad that you're here this morning, uh, but this is not the Branch. Uh, I'm really sorry to admit it to you guys. You thought you were coming, but this is not it. Uh, this is a gem, okay? There's a basketball goal right there. Uh, we put out this tarp because in a couple hours some elementary school kids are going to pretend like they can play basketball in here and they don't want us to scratch up the floors. Uh, this is just a gym. It's, it's not a church. Uh, we are the church and this is simply a gathering uh, of the body uh, in that point. And uh, I know you guys probably didn't even really notice anything different when, uh, when you came in. Uh, you know, there's a TV instead of a screen or whatever. Uh, however, this morning was one of those mornings that like is very humbling for us that come in and set up. Uh, God bless the sound team <laughs> and like uh, Sarah and Mackenzie that are there like almost every week. This week, Christian and Landon and Matt uh, like beating computers and saying like, why won't it work? Um, all like uh, so many technical things went wrong this morning again like I know you guys don't really care about it but especially for us uh, it's definitely a humbling experience and letting us know that uh, this is not about us this is not about some sort of performance that we can put on for you guys this is not even the church uh, this is just a really small gathering where we get to come together and we get to exalt uh, the name of God and so um, I think it's kind of important at least maybe just for me maybe not even for you guys but to remember that it's not about us that this is about him uh, this is about making his name famous uh, and exalting him to the best of our ability. So uh, we are going to be in Luke chapter 18. We're going to be reading verses 31 through 42 today. So if you guys want to go ahead and turn there, uh, I will warn you, we will be jumping around just a little bit, just a couple times. Uh, I usually don't like to do that. I like to kind of pick a passage and stick with it, but Jesus has this nasty habit of referencing scripture, so I kind of have to. Um, also, while you guys are turning there, I want to say this, so that is on the recording. Uh, Dylan is going to explain a lot more of it at the end, so I won't go into a whole bunch of detail, but everybody say 5.30. Say it again, say 5.30. Next week is going to be a little bit of like a throwback Sunday. Um, like way back in like 2015, 2016 with the church, we used to not meet on Sunday mornings. We used to meet in the afternoons. And uh, we have this excellent problem where we've gotten too big. So uh, like I said, Dylan will explain it. Uh, but next week, next week only, is going to be a little bit weird. We are not going to be meeting in the morning. We are going to be meeting at what time? 5.30. Okay, 5.30 in the afternoon. Okay, that is p.m. Uh, so if you come here next week, yeah, I don't know, you know, maybe you thought, you know, <laughs> some sunlight service, sunrise service or something. Uh, if you come here in the morning, you're gonna have a lot of time to kill, okay? Uh, and you'll be hanging out at a little girl's beauty pageant. So, uh, that being said, everybody there? Luke chapter 18? Yep, all right, like I said, verses 31 through 42, and let's get to reading. So, headings for this one uh, would be Jesus again predicts his death, and then also a blind beggar receives his sight. So Jesus took the twelve aside, and he told them, We are going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. The meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. Moving on, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
And those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. All right, let's pray, and then we'll move in. Dear God, um, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are a God that is so much more important uh, than anything we could be doing here on a Sunday morning. You are more important than the setup. You are more important than the chairs. You're more important. Uh, anything I could possibly have to say, you're more important than us. Uh, and so I pray today, God, that we would posture our hearts to accept that and to receive that. Uh, to know that this is about exalting you. And thank you so much, Father, for being a God worthy of that exaltation, for giving your son, for dying for us. Uh, I pray, God, that you would open our hearts, um, that we would not leave here the same way as when we came in, uh, and that we would know what you have to say to us today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So, um, I, some of you guys that may know me, uh, I'm a bit of a jack of all trades, okay? I have a, a wide girth of uh, human experience, uh, which is another way of saying that I don't stay at jobs for very long. Uh, I've worked <laughs> in a lot of different places, uh, and they've never been bad situations. It's not like I've ever been fired or anything like that, but uh, just as, ever since I was like 15, uh, always, I've had two, three, sometimes even four different jobs. I've always worked, you know, <laughs> 80 hours a week. It's just kind of what happened, and they'd be seasonal things and just rotate from there. Um, and with all of these jobs, uh, I've gotten pretty good at, at, at doing this thing because in all of them, when I start to meet the people that I work with and start to get to know them, you know, whatever, uh, I realize that there always comes a point in that relationship when we're working together when from this point on, you will never treat me the same, right? Your opinion of me has completely and totally shifted and I can never get it back and like, oh, there it is, it's gone now. Um, and I've gotten really good at it. I've gotten to the point where I can almost pinpoint the second, like, right? There, that's when you're gonna treat me differently forever. And I'll give you guys an example of that. Um, so I used to work at this pizza place in Cleveland where I'm from. Uh, I was a delivery guy. Uh, and then for a little bit, I was the assistant manager. And so uh, I was working with this girl and I was just trying to get to know her and just like, hey, we'll be working together. And she was one of those like no filter types, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, very bombastic, just willing to tell you her whole life story. Um, and just kind of word vomit all over the place. So I meet her, and that's exactly what she starts doing. She starts going on and on and on about all the parties that she goes to, the guys that she's been with, all the stuff that she's done. She was telling me that she was dating this one guy. I didn't think she was going to see him again because she's pretty sure that he gave him some bad acid. Like, that's the conversation I found myself in, right? This hole that I couldn't get myself out of. And about 15, 20 minutes into that conversation, uh, she looks at me, and she says, like, oh, man, I've been talking this whole time. I don't know anything about you. Um, did you say you had another job? What, what was that other job? that you said you had again? What else do you do? And it was like, ah, uh, I'm kind of on staff at a church. And I could see like it was in her eyes. I was like, right there, that's when it changes. Because the next thing that she tried to tell me about was the VBSs that she uh, volunteered for, right? Uh, was about all of the Bible camps that she was a leader at and the youth groups that she was a part of. Uh, and she even, you know, like devotionals she's read. She even tried to tell me too. She started looking and saying like, you know, sometimes I try and tell these other people about like God and stuff and they just don't know. And like, that's so weird for me because like I've always known him, you know? And like, I can't even just imagine what it's like to not be like that. Like, all I can do is pray for him. And uh, I'm not trying to rag on her at all. She was actually she was a really cool girl. Um, but it was one of those times when I just had to kind of laugh internally to myself because I was like, you know, 
not even five minutes ago, you used the words tripping balls to me in a sentence. And now you're trying to tell me about the VBS event. Like, it's okay. Like, just be a real person. Who, who is that? Um, because I think it's the natural inclination of our hearts, just of all mankind. We've all been there. Um, where we try to exalt ourselves to the level of the people that are around us, or at least to the level that we perceive that they're at. You guys get what I'm saying? Um, because what I think she heard at that point, um, when I said that, you know, I work in ministry or I'm kind of on staff at a church, I work for this church plan or whatever, is she thought to herself, like, oh my gosh, he's way up here then, right? She put me on this pedestal. And so now I have to somehow lift myself up and I have to exalt myself so that I'm at that same level right? And any of us here that have, not, you don't even have to work in ministry, even if you've just been open about your faith, we've probably seen that, right? People start to treat you differently. Uh, or maybe we start to act differently around other people, where we try and attempt to exalt ourselves up to the level that we think that they're at. And we do the same thing with God. I think the reason why I tell that story is we do the same thing with God, uh, where we look at him and we recognize, like, he is righteous, he is holy, he is above all things. We get that uh, and so I at least got it better than these jokers, right? So we attempt to exalt ourselves and put us up at this higher place so that at least we're closer to that of God. You know, somehow we can bridge the gap in our minds. Um, and when we look at these stories um, about Jesus predicting his death and then the, the blind beggar, they're kind of unimpressive, right? Um, I know even when, you know, Gabe gave them to me and said like, hey, here's what you're preaching on today. I look at it and it's like, okay, Jesus predicts his death. It's not even the first time in this book. We've heard that before. And then Jesus heals a blind beggar. Not to say it's not cool, okay? That's awesome, but it's not the first time he's done that. There are other times in this gospel and all over the other gospels of other times where they tell this story. So it's kind of like, meh, you know, what are, what are you supposed to get from that? Um, and so I'm not going to attempt to necessarily say anything unique about these verses, uh, things that we can't even learn better maybe from other verses. Uh, however, the one thing that, at least while I was reading them, that I was able to take from them is that we can learn a lot about what it means to be exalted, who God exalts, who we exalt, uh, and what that looks like, uh, especially when we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. And so um, we're going to be kind of, you know, diving into these and— um, when we look uh, deep into these verses, remember we talked about uh, who in here has been in a missional community for the past like three, four weeks, okay? Talked a little bit about it last week, a few of us. If you're not, do it, okay? Um, we've been looking through about how to read the Bible and how best to interpret that. So there's two big things that we do, okay? We exegete and then we use hermeneutics, uh, hermeneuticize. And so when we first dive in and look at the details of what this would have meant to them at that time. Um, the first thing we can see is that Jesus is challenging their understanding of who he is. Okay, so a little bit of a recap about where we've been in these chapters. Um, if you were to flip your Bible back just like one or two pages to around like chapters 15, you don't have to go there, just again look at it, be like, yep, that's a 15, and then turn right back. Uh, in this kind of cluster of chapters, what's been happening is that Jesus has looked at his followers, he's looked at the disciples, and he said to them, hey guys, it's about to get real. Um, that things are going to happen. This is not going to get easier. This will probably cost you your life. And so I want you to consider the cost of what it means before you start to follow me. All right. And a lot of people left, but there were a select few uh, who decided to stick around and said like, okay, I, I think we want to do this. I understand. I've considered the cost. And so they have been following Jesus to Jerusalem where he knows already he eventually is going to be arrested and, and crucified. And so he's been using this opportunity 
as a way to teach them about the kingdom, right? He's been performing miracles, telling parables, giving teachings, all kind of with the intention of showing, hey, this is what my kingdom actually looks like. And last week, we talked about how he's kind of took a little bit of a shift there, uh, where he wasn't just talking about the kingdom itself, but about who was going to be in that kingdom, about the people of the kingdom of God. And so we're kind of in that same place again with this. As we look um, at these miracles and at these, you know, the teachings that Jesus was giving, uh, he's doing the same thing, that he's trying to show us something about the kingdom. So if we start off in verse 31 right there, right at the top, It says, Jesus took the 12 aside and he told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that has been written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. So we got this really interesting word there, uh, Son of Man, right? How many of us have heard that word before? Probably told to us by Jesus, right? It's kind of a familiar term. And the first thing I notice about this when I look in is, why did why did this confuse the disciples so much? Like it says right there, verse 34, the disciples did not understand any of this. The message was hidden from them. They did not know what he was talking about. And it's a little confusing to me because when I look at this, and I'm sure that when the rest of us, when we read this, it's pretty easy for us to get that Jesus is talking about himself. Like, yeah, he's being weird and he's talking in third person, but it's it's pretty easy for us to read that, maybe just because we know what's going to happen later, but we see the Son of Man is going to suffer and die. Jesus is saying this. He's talking to the disciples. He's inferring that this is him, that he is the Son of Man, and so, of course, you know, ipso facto, uh, we know that he's saying that he is going to die, right? Be handed to the Gentiles. So why was this so confusing for them? And a lot of that has to do with this term that's being used, Son of Man, and so we have to have a good understanding of, of what that means for us to understand why they were so confused and what Jesus is trying to talk about this. So a little bit about this term, Son of Man. It was the preferred moniker of Jesus. Uh, he called himself the Son of Man more than he said anything else. Um, he called himself, he referred to himself as the Son of Man over 70 times uh, throughout the Gospels. The reason that's a really big deal is by comparison, Jesus only referred to himself as the Son of God twice. Okay, two verse 70, which is a bigger number. Okay? And he actually never referred to himself as the Messiah or the Christ. Uh, he certainly implied it a whole bunch of times, and his actions definitely showed it. But when people would use that phrase, you are the Christ, he would oftentimes turn it around, and he would call himself the Son of Man. So he always tried to lead people to this definition of who he was, Son of Man. And at first glance, that can be a little confusing, right? Uh, son of Man. When you guys think of Son of Man, just think for a second. What do you think of? What kind of comes to mind when I say the word Son of man, okay? Not a god, right? Like Caleb. Caleb, you're a son of man, okay? (laughs) It's just like a dude, okay? Um, That's really what that term seems to mean in our head. And so at first glance, it can almost seem like, what was Jesus doing? Was he trying to trick us? Was he trying to lead us away from something? Um, But again, we talked about that nasty habit of Jesus looking at scripture. And so if you guys want, if you can, if you'll turn with me to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. So that is in the Old Testament, kind of towards the back, all right, uh, of the Old Testament. But we're looking at Daniel 7, 13. Give you guys like just a second to get there. Um, Because what this is going to do is it's going to show us what Jesus was referring to uh, when he is talking about the Son of Man. We got it up there. All right, cool. So karaoke, you can just read it from there as well. Uh, we got it. Here we go. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. 
He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So we can see right already right here, um, for those of you who don't know kind of what's happening at that point, uh, Daniel is giving this really kind of gruesome vision that's been given to him by God, where there's like four beasts and stuff taking over the world, and then here this son of man comes and is given dominion and full authority over this kingdom of all the nations forever and ever, amen. And when he says son of man, that term, uh, first century Jews would have recognized that, okay? They would have remembered Oh, Daniel, son of man. Okay, they would have been thinking about that version of it. But we can look at that, and the image that's being taught there is that there's this big kind of superhuman guy, right? Uh, Daniel, that's also one of the only other instances in the Old Testament. It's one of the places where we see this apocalyptic language. And so when Daniel's talking, it's this very revelation-y, in-times kind of feeling thing, right? And so when you hear son of man, they're thinking in-times, okay? They're thinking like, way in the future. It's not necessarily something that they would have been looking for right now. And then also, with this character, the Son of Man, a lot of people, he was almost like folklore at this point. Um, there's this guy named Ezra, not the book of Ezra, just a poet, just a guy <laughs> named Ezra, um, that wrote about the Son of Man as well. And he said this, he said, and I looked and behold, the wind was made something like the figure of a man coming up out of the heart of the sea. And I looked and behold, that man flew with the clouds of heaven. And wherever he turned his face to look, everything under his gaze gaze trembled, and wherever his voice issued from his mouth, all who heard his voice melted as wax melts when it meets, feels the fire. So uh, they kind of almost gave this guy like superhuman strength, superhuman powers. When I think of him, any Dragon Ball Z fans in here, okay, I think of Goku, all right? <laughs> when I hear that, like fire issuing from his mouth and he's flying through the clouds, like that, that is what I see, and it's awesome. And so we can tell uh, from understanding that, now we can see a little bit more of why the disciples might have been a little bit confused, right? First off, they're not thinking right now that the Son of Man is coming. That's like an end times thing. That's way over here. And then as Jesus is referring to the Son of Man, he talks about him suffering and dying. No, the Son of Man doesn't suffer and die, Jesus. You got the story wrong. The Son of Man is supposed to go Super Saiyan and kill Frieza and save all of Namek. I'm still on Dragon Ball Z. Um, and so hearing about him suffering and dying, being given away uh, to the Gentiles, that he'd be flogged, he'd be spit on, and he eventually would be killed, that, that was not the picture of who they saw Jesus as, not even the picture of who this term Son of Man would have been, right? And so Jesus is beginning to challenge them, even though it wasn't it wasn't understood by them at the time that Jesus is starting to say, I, I need you to think about me differently. I need you to understand who it is that I am and why it is that I'm here. Now, they would have been expecting was a little bit closer in line uh, to what the blind beggar says as we move down. So if we were to look at uh, verse 37, all right, um, and we can see that it says that uh, they told him Jesus of Nazareth is passing by and he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I will say with this, the blind beggar in this story, he's not named in the book of Luke. If you look at some of the other gospels, they do give him a name, okay? So his name is Bartimaeus. So from this point on, we'll call him Bartimaeus or Bart or something like that, okay? He does have a name. Luke, for whatever reason, was like, eh, that's not important. Uh, but his name is Bartimaeus, and he is crying out, son of David, right? Son of David, have mercy on me. That was a little bit more in line as to what they were thinking that Jesus was at the time, who they were expecting, who they were looking for. That term, son of David, right there. Uh, we know David was a, a king. That was a, a common term that was used to describe the Messiah. Uh, Messiah means anointed one. It's where we, the, the Greek word is Christos, where we get the English word Christ from. When we say Jesus Christ, 
what we're saying is Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the anointed one. And so by calling out and saying, you know, son of David, what he's saying is that you are the chosen one. You are this person that we've been expecting. Uh, the the uh, chosen one, the Messiah at that time they thought was going to come, was going to be king, was going to reestablish the kingdom of Israel at that point. So they were under Roman rule, and so they were just looking for, oh God, please send us this Messiah. Send us this person who's going to reestablish the kingdom for what it once was. We'll have a king again from the line of David. Uh, he's a rule over us. We'll be our own people again. And so again, Jesus is kind of challenging them to think more about who he was. That Yes, he is the Messiah. Yes, he is reestablishing a kingdom. But it's not this temporal, physical, political kingdom that's in their head, right? That it's so much more than that. This is something that goes eternal into all peoples, into all nations, and that kingdom looks very different than, you know, starting a war and kicking out the Romans and doing all that stuff, okay? Uh, Jesus is challenging them to think of that kingdom differently. So we move on, so knowing that Jesus is also then, he's challenging who he is, right, or perceptions of who he is, but then he's also challenging what that kingdom actually looks like. Because if we go on and we look at the behavior of the people that are in the crowd, we see that they're kind of rude, right? Um, that if you move on to like the verse, verse 39, um, it's, yeah, it's a weird morning. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, right? So why are they being such jerks to him? They're closer to Jesus. So why would they want to shout at him? Why are they constantly telling people to shut up? Um, and when you think more again about how they're looking for this son of David, they're looking for this Messiah, they think that he's going to bring this temporal political kingdom and rebuild Israel again, it makes a little bit more sense. There's a story that I just told, you know, about this girl that I worked with and how she, you know, kind of tried to make herself look better to me. It's our natural inclination to want to exalt ourselves higher. And so as these people are coming with Jesus and they're thinking, this is the son of David. This is the guy that's going to come. He's going to reestablish. He's going to kick out the Romans, reestablish um, the kingdom of Israel. He's going to be the king. And I'm already hanging out with him. So that kind of like makes me a prince, right? Or at least like a duke or something, you know? Like if I can get close with him, if I can get on the end with Jesus, then that in turn will also elevate myself. And so it's funny how we see that, you know, these, these people are constantly having to be reminded by Jesus to humble themselves. And I think that that's the best way to describe it, to look at it, is because they're looking for this kingdom and thinking that if I elevate Jesus, I'm also kind of elevating myself. Uh, and so when we look at their behavior, and it says that, like I said, verse 39, uh, that they're calling to rebuke them because they're attempting to, to elevate themselves. I think it's funny how Jesus, in fact, is always having to reteach the same lessons. Uh, the same group of people, if you were with us last week, um, were just rebuked for pretty much the same thing with the little children, right? That Jesus is sitting there with his disciples, that people are bringing their kids to be blessed by him. They're again saying like, listen, we don't have time for this. We'll pencil you in later, but we're doing important stuff. And Jesus is having to remind them like, hey, if people are coming and they're desiring blessings from me, it's not your job to hinder them, that the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So again, we have this blind Bartimaeus, right? This blind beggar, social class zero, and he's crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they're rebuking him, and Jesus once again is having to tell them, like, were you not listening, like, just like a couple days ago, okay? This person is coming and desiring blessing from me, uh, and so it's not our job to hinder them. It's almost like if you're rebuked by a disciple, that's the one surefire way that Jesus is going to do something cool for you. Um, like, I would almost want that. I would almost, like, want to come to Jesus and have the disciples rebuke me because if there's anything the scriptures has taught us, it's like, that's the surefire way I'm going to get seen. Um, and so Jesus then responds, if you look at verse 40, that he orders the man. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. 
And then when he came here, Jesus asked them, what do you want me to do for you? And I have to stop for a second and just kind of sit in amazement at that question. Can you imagine, like, if Jesus Christ, <laughs> all right, God, ordered for you to be brought before him and looked at you and asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? What a vastly open-ended, amazing question for God to ask this man. Anything that he wants. And I think that this question kind of has two parts to it, right? So it's kind of asking two things in, in one. Because in, on one hand, he is kind of giving the obvious. He's saying, what do you want me to do for you? Basically saying, like, I, I'll do whatever. Like, just name it, and it's yours. So opening up these vast possibilities. But at the same time, when we looked at last week, too, we saw that Jesus oftentimes will ask questions to challenge us. He'll often ask questions because he's looking to see how we answer them. Okay, last week, uh, I remember when he talked to the rich ruler, uh, and he was saying to the rich ruler, he said, why do you call me good? It was kind of begging the question, right? Only God is good, so are you saying that I'm your God, or am I only a teacher? All right, when he's looking at him and he's saying, hey, you know the commandments, he's also kind of begging the question. Uh, so like, do you understand that the commandments will not bring you righteousness, right? Are you gonna catch me on this? And in the same way, I think with this question, that he's saying, what do you want me to do for you? He's also begging the question, what, who do you, what do you think that I can do for you? What do you want from me? What is it that you, you're calling me the son of David, you're referencing me as a king, you're calling me the Messiah, this anointed one, saying that I've been sent from God. What is it you think that I can do for you? And it almost makes me wonder, what could he have asked for at that time? Just something to kind of stop and, and to think about in that moment is what could he have asked for? If he'd asked for anything else, what would have Jesus' response been? Would he still have given it to him? Um, <laughs> I also just saw here, Elena is your number one fan. I saw where she typed that into my notes. So wherever she's at, thank you. All right, I see it. You got me. <laughs> All right. Um, in this story, though, he's, it's interesting to see how he is rebuking the ones who have been trying to elevate themselves, the ones who, it says here, led the way, who were close to him walking through Jericho. He is rebuking the ones who are attempting to make themselves look higher, and instead he is elevating the one who is coming and asking for mercy, the one who is instead trying to elevate God, make himself lower. And so in that moment, um, we've read these verses and we've seen kind of what it means for them. How then can we apply that to our lives? What does that mean for us then? And I think the important thing is, first we have to ask ourselves a question is, who's being exalted in this, right? In this, in this story, who is it that you most identify with? And, and think about that. Who, what are these characters? Who are they exalting? Are they exalting themselves? Are they exalting God? Are they exalting each other? What are their, um, what are their actions saying about that? I think the most important thing for us to take from this story is that we exalt downwards, okay? That when we exalt in the kingdom of God, we exalt downwards. And what I mean by that is that in this story, we look, at, uh, we look at Bartimaeus, right? We look at this blind beggar. Um, like we said, that he, you know, he's social class zero, absolutely no followers on Instagram, nobody cares, right? Okay, uh, he cannot work for himself, he has no way of making money, he is homeless, uh, he's got nothing, he's literally begging for food in the streets. And how does he respond to Jesus? He looks at him and he says, son of David, have mercy on me. If any of us used to watch Full House, that's I, I, Uncle Jesse comes to mind when I, when I read that. But he's saying, have mercy on me. And that word mercy, 
uh, so often misused. So many of us use it. It's part of our like Christian knees, and we don't really get it. Really simple, like 20-second way of explaining the word mercy. Mercy is getting what you don't deserve. Okay, if I'm speeding and I'm pulled over by a cop and the cop looks at me and says, you were caught red-handed, but I'm gonna let you go with a warning, that is mercy. I deserve a ticket, but I'm not getting what I deserve, right? He's letting me go. So that's mercy. So this man, this Bartimaeus is looking at him and he's saying, son of David, anointed one, that you are God at this point. And I recognize that I do not deserve for you to talk to me. I don't deserve anything that you could give, but please, he's saying, have mercy on me. Don't give me what I deserve at this point. Please look at me and see something. Don't give me what I deserve. He already is at this lowest point, lowest social class, and he is attempting in that moment to make himself even lower before God. Looking at Jesus as he's passing by and saying, don't give me what I deserve. And that is when Jesus looks at him. And he does something amazing, and that's that he makes himself even lower than that, right? verse 41, and saying, what do you want me to do for you? Looking at him and looking and saying that I know that you don't deserve this, but in that moment, you being as low as you are to all of these people, I will show them how we interact with you by making myself lower and saying, how can I serve you? And in that serving, right, he's exalting downwards, knowing that God will be exalted through this, so he's making himself lower. And that shows us, I think, just so much our perspective on prayer. A lot of us, too, I feel like we get stuck in these two very, very polar opposite ways of thinking when it comes to prayer. We've got this one end over here where we think that, you know, if you ask for a million dollars, as long as you have faith enough it's going to be given to you. We have this like the secret way of asking the universe and it's going to manifest itself somehow. And if you asked for something and you didn't give it, we're like, ah, it's your fault. You didn't have enough faith. Maybe if you close your eyes tighter next time, you'll be able to get it, right? We think that somehow that we have the ability to almost force God with our faith to do what we want. Or we go completely on the opposite end of things, and and we have this view that, like, God doesn't speak to us anymore through the Holy Spirit, that he's not interacting with us, that you don't need to ask for healing, that you don't need to ask for him to speak to you because that's not really how it works, right? Learn to get over it. Or maybe even worse, that we, we give God a backdoor. I'll admit that I'm, I am the worst with this, right? And I'll even use scripture to kind of justify myself with that, where I'll say like, you know, God, give me healing, but not my will, but your will be done, right? Uh, anybody else kind of do that, where we, we give God an out for that? Um, because it's almost as if we don't actually believe that he's going to be able to do it. We don't have that faith. Our perspective on prayer has been so shifted. Um, Well, we need to understand that the most important part about when we go to God and ask is who it is that we're asking. What we're asking for is not nearly as important as who it is that we're asking. We look at Bartimaeus that he is saying, God, I don't deserve anything from you, but please don't give me what I deserve, right? And it is then when we choose to exalt downwards, that when we choose to make ourselves lower in order to make God higher, that that is when that Jesus looks upon him and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus is able to say, I want to see And Jesus gives him his sight, and the response is that people worshiped God. They praised him. When they saw it, they also praised God, that when we go to God, how are you guys posturing yourselves? Who is it, even in your prayers, who is it that we are trying to exalt? Are we attempting to exalt ourselves, or are we attempting to exalt the Father? 
Are we coming in honest, asking for mercy at that point, showing that even in my desires that I am attempting to make you greater, that God, I don't deserve anything, but I know that you are a good and gracious God who loves me. The second part then is with exalting it downwards, right, is how are we doing that with other people, okay? Um, in the same way that the girl was attempting to make herself higher when she was among me. Um, I think that if we're all honest with ourselves, we're all guilty of that in, in some way or another, that when you're around other people, you wanna make yourselves look just a little bit better, right? You can always tell. Uh, they're the ones that are like, oh yeah, I've seen that movie, right? You know, like uh, <laughs> all of a sudden they know everything about everything at that point. Um, do you desire to be seen wholly by your peers? Do you want your peers to see you as being this church person, right? Uh, and, and how are we responding to them in that? Or instead, are we attempting to lower ourselves and ask, what do you want me to do, right? What is it that I can do for you? Um, catch yourselves, just watch yourselves this week and see where is my heart in this? How do I want to respond to them? And I am attempting to try and elevate myself. And then how then can I take a note from Jesus, right, a play out of his book, and see how can I instead exalt downwards? How instead can I make myself lower? Can I ask the question, what do you want me to do for you in that sense, all right? Um, because no matter how low we make ourselves, we recognize that Jesus did it first. No matter how far you can exalt yourself downward, you can raise yourself higher, you can dive into the depths of God's grace, you'll notice that Jesus always, in the same way as Bartimaeus, when you cry out and say, have mercy on me, that Jesus always manages to be able to exalt himself even lower and that humble himself even farther. Um, another amazing part, if I were to jump back just a little bit there uh, into where Jesus predicts his death, and he's talking about the Son of Man and how everything that's written about him will be fulfilled, that he'll be handed over to the Gentiles, that they will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him, and on the third day, he will rise again. Uh, again, that they weren't thinking uh, about the Son of Man in that way. And they were thinking that he would rise up, right? That he was, all dominion was gonna be given over to him. I'm thinking about him dying. And again, Jesus has this stupid habit. Someone's gotta talk to him about how much he references scripture. I'm tired of jumping around. Uh, he's looking at Isaiah. And you don't necessarily have to jump there, but it's Isaiah 53, okay? Surely he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. That everything that Jesus did was meant to make us a place in heaven. That he was exalted to the highest place because of how far he had gone down. And so with that, it's, it's our job then at this point, how we most can apply this to our life is realizing that when we humble ourselves, it is merely a response to the gospel. That as we humble ourselves, that as we bring ourselves lower, that as we say, what can I do for you? That this is not about making me look good, but this is about making God look good, okay? This is in no way is this about me, my talents, and what I can do, that I'm nothing. I am Bartimaeus uh, in this verse. That's, I would say that's who we all are. We're nobody. Who Jesus then looks at us and says, what then can I do for you? And out of response to that, that is where our heart pours out to others. Um, so pretty soon we're gonna go and we're gonna go into communion. Uh, I'm, I'm done, I'm finished. Um, but as we're doing that, and as the band comes up and play, that this is kind of your time. No one's gonna rush you, all right? Uh, if lines start forming, you can join them or not join them. That's completely and totally up to you. Um, take some time to respond to the gospel. Um, 
take some time just to look inward and ask yourself, where am I with all of this, right? Uh, maybe you're doing pretty well, <laughs> maybe you're not. Uh, how is God asking you to respond with this? Uh, and I would ask that you guys would take this time a little seriously, all right? That uh, communion is a wonderful representation of the gospel in its entirety. As we talked about how he, by his wounds we are healed. This is a representation of the Last Supper where Jesus broke the bread and he said, this is my body that is given to you. Take this in remembrance of me that this, this wine, or juice, uh, is the blood that represents the new covenant that was poured out for you. That this is how he gave to us. That this is how he humbled himself even to the point of death, right? And so by taking this, that we are accepting that provision. Um, we would ask at this point too that perhaps you are not a believer and that's awesome that you guys are here. I really respect that, and that's super cool. Uh, and during this time, we want you to pray. Uh, we want you to talk to somebody. We'll have people standing up here. If you have questions, you wanna talk about something, that's perfectly fine. Uh, we want you to be involved. Uh, however, with communion, that this uh, is a time that, again, that we are looking at symbols, that we are looking at, again, the provision that God has given us, um, the covenant that, that we have made uh, with him. And so if you are not a believer, we would ask that you would take this time, again, to just pray, to look and and maybe even ask yourselves, how, how am I with this God, right? What does this mean to me? Again, we are here for you. We're here to pray with you, to talk with you with that too. So if you guys will bow your heads, we'll pray. Um, dear God, thank you. Thank you for <laughs> all the things that you have done, and that's just the easiest way to say it because if I were to name them, it would take forever. Um, but thank you that you have borne our infirmities, that by your stripes we are healed. Um, that you have humbled yourself to death, and for that, that you have been exalted to the highest place. You are God, and that we worship you as such, and I pray, God, that you would humble us, that you would convict us of the areas in our lives where maybe this isn't connecting with us so much, um, the areas in our lives that are still prideful, that still don't get it, um, that are not looking for ways on how we can exalt you in even the little things. Help us to see that your word is not about doing different things, but about doing the exact same things differently. I pray that we would see that, God, that we would open our eyes, that we would bear one another's burdens, uh, be burdened for the lost and burdened for each other. Uh, I pray that you would bless this communion and that you would guide us in that as a body. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.